0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, as you may or may not know, we just finished up a, uh, a rather extensive exploration of the Gospel of John. Finished that up last week, and uh, today we are going to do uh, a part one of a quick reminder about what uh, we're doing here uh, as a church. Uh, we've done this several times before uh, in the past. Uh, And it's just, I feel like every couple of years we want to go over this because there are always new people here among us. But even if you've been here with us for a while, it's good to just, uh, you know, to to touch base with what we are, what we're doing here, uh, and why we're doing what we do the way we do it. And uh, so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at this morning, Janelle and I, we're going to have a conversation uh, about Eastgate Elementals, about the the basics of what this church is uh, and what we're about. And, uh, the first thing that we want to do, just so everybody's aware of it, is to kind of go over the, 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 the key components of the leadership teams that we have, uh, present here. Uh, so I, I want to start by introducing what we call our board. Um, the board, we we call it a board. I'm not crazy about the terminology. I feel like it's borrowed from the business world, but I can't think of a better one. Every other thing that I start to say sounds kind of culty and stuff, so (laughs) I don't know what to do with it. So either way, we've got a a team of people that, that make decisions, basically, for our community based on what we have read about in the book of Acts, when there were decisions that had to be made for the church, a group of people, elders got together, prayed about the situation and, and followed suit. So that was our process. We decided to, to do that. And our process for determining who those people will be is the same as it's been for 29 years now. We, we pray about it. Uh, we wait for a name to kind of come to us. When we have a name, we pray about that, and then we approach the person to see if they're willing to you know, get involved in this, and uh, <laughs> if they're willing, for some reason, to do that, and we pray about it and bring them in and uh, uh, discuss it, and we discuss the uh, the needs of the, of the various community needs that are there. So the people currently serving in the capacity of leaders like that are Mike and Darby Brown, Lance and Liz Livingston. I would say that that those couple, those two families have been here for probably the longest. Uh, They were here when Eastgate first formed, way back when we were in the Promenade Mall. Uh, Lawana Schaefer, myself, Kevin and Stephanie Barron, they serve as treasurers uh who oversee the finances here um for our community we meet on a quarterly basis we try to it is like herding cats <laughs> once you go once you drop formalities like punctuality and things like that is the first stuff to go so it's so difficult to get us together but we do it and sometimes we'll meet more as the needs arise our process for making decisions we don't vote on things our our general way we typically we pray about an issue, and then we wait for a consensus among us. If we can't find that consensus, there's been only a few exceptions to that rule. If we can't find a consensus, we we put it on the shelf and, and wait for it. And yeah.
1: The board is basically offering another level of accountability here. And I'm just so very thankful for the board that we have here. They're all volunteers. They care deeply about the community, the people in this community. And um, they're just a wonderful support team as we move forward with this.
0: And, you know, they take the time that it takes. They're not paid positions or anything like that. They have been volunteers for some of them for nearly 30 years, uh, volunteering to do this to make sure that that, uh, this community has what we need to continue functioning the way we are. Uh, here at Eastgate, we've also got several areas of ministry that need direct oversight. So uh, Vicki Wade is our Kidsgate pastor. Uh, she took over for Janelle last year. Uh, Nate Propelka is our youth pastor. Matt Green, who you saw playing guitar up there, is a worship pastor overseeing music and musicians. Liz Livingston <laughs> is our office manager. And uh, Hi, Liz.
1: And, uh, <laughs> She's doing this. That's why you can't see her. <laughs>
0: I have the control because I put the slideshow together. Uh, But she's also in charge of our other interactive ministries like greeters and communion. Mike Brown, who you rarely ever see, but who's back at the soundboard, oversees the soundboard technologies and the volunteers there. And we've got a group of volunteers. Bob Hess is one of those. Been here for years working on all of this. Robbie Woodrum heads up our media team. Again, someone you rarely ever see because she's hidden back in a little nerd booth, uh, <laughs> where it's nice and dark and they don't interact with people. Uh, <laughs> control center, there it is, that's right. <laughs> then Lance Livingston heads up our, our, uh, security or safety team and he does such a great job with that. We're so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. He's brought in so much experience and, uh, I've never, you know, we've had other experts come in and, and look at, our protocols and what we have in place. And each time we've gotten big, huge thumbs up, like you guys have done a great job here. And that's on Lance. Lance has just done a great job of looking Mm -hmm. after us. Blake uh, Blake Roseman is our community pastor and he, um,
1: we don't know what he does. (laughs) He won't leave either. So you get used to him. We get used to him. It's, it'll be fine so
0: we 're joking, but if you 've ever been the, the recipient of his ministry, you know very well he 's a wonderful asset to this community. Mm-hmm. He works with a team with benevolence and looking after the needs here on on just this the, the level the, the, you know, the ground level of community uh, work and stuff uh, so you can see though from this that no one person is uh, has autonomy to make decisions for the whole community. We believe strongly in team leadership. We you know, we work together as a team. No one person can just say this is the way it's going to be and it's done. These are the, you know, all of the decisions are are the result of prayer and discussion and uh, we trust the leading of the Holy Spirit in, in all of that. Something that is fairly new for our community that uh, I want everybody to be aware of is that we now have two people who are functioning in uh, a pastoral role. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say senior pastor, lead pastor, all of that stuff. Again, feels like it's borrowed from the business world. I'm not crazy about that. But either way, that overall overseeing uh, uh, function of leadership, pastoral, just shepherding concept. Uh, and the the two people that are functioning in that role right now are myself and Janelle Green, who's my daughter. Uh, as of last year the board and the staff ordained us as co-pastors administratively and uh as teachers uh, in the teaching responsibilities there so i just want to say i'm i'm so honored to be able to work with my daughter this way and and she has yes i think she's well deserving of that as the years have gone by, I have seen how God has gifted her. I've seen all the different ways in which she has been a tremendous asset to this community and this church. And so, I mean, everything that she does for this family called Eastgate, I'm I'm appreciative of. And I just consider it such a special honor and, and gift to be able to do this with with my daughter, uh, this way. And listen, uh, we're, we're announcing this, that we're, we're functioning as co-pastors. I don't want you to get excited or start celebrating yet. It doesn't mean I'm leaving. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I am, I am still here, but I want you to know I am getting older and, and what? that's a, Yeah. <laughs> I got pictures to prove it. <laughs> And I feel it's a generational responsibility to see to it that the next generation is equipped and facilitated in in leading us forward into all of this. And I think that the next, you know, I think that that. Uh, Janelle is a person to be able to do that as well as the next generation of believers here within this to carry this forward. I believe in in the next generation strongly that God is going to uh, be working through them and leading them and guiding them and, and unfolding all new areas and realms of his grace that we may never have dreamed of before. So uh, uh, I think that it's incumbent on me before I get too old, <laughs> to see to it that there's, there's leadership that's g- going to take us forward. So uh, you may be someone who is sitting here mulling over the question right now, can a woman be a pastor like this? Is that right? Can a woman do that sort of thing? And listen, I'm not saying that that question is wrong or out of line, but the answer to that question is really complex and has to come through a thorough investigation of scripture, not just a, an isolated surface reading of the texts and I fear that much of of church tradition has fallen prey to a surface. Reading of these things. I've given my view on this subject before. You got a phone call? You got to get my, or something? Jessica
1: is <laughs> texting me. In the <laughs>
0: uh, I've given my view on this before. We went into depth in it uh, when I taught on uh, Second uh, on First Timothy chapter two. You can find that online. Uh, that, uh, that was 15 years ago. I stand by what I taught there, as well as the last time that we shared about Eastgate and the basics of our church. I did a little more in depth exploration. Um, but if you've been here for any amount of time, you've seen that both men and women teach here uh, uh, in the community, um, uh, different, different men and women um, uh, on Sunday mornings. And it's important for me that you hear that I believe we have a biblical basis for approaching ministry this way. This is not just some random thing we've come up with. It's not the result of just one scholar's influence on us or even some theological smoking gun where we've got the aha uh, moment. It's not the influence of culture on us or any such thing. No, for me, this view is based on the cumulative evidence that I find in the biblical narrative as well as the history of the church. And first of all, as with everything that steers my approach to the Christian walk, and how we approach church, I, I want to know what the Bible has to say uh, about something. I, you know, Anyone who really knows me knows that, that that's always my number one concern. Where does this fit within the biblical perspective? I don't care what, what church tradition says. I don't care what the culture says. I want to know what the biblical direction is, because that has been my lifeline throughout my entire walk uh, as a Christian. I want to be sure that our course is consistent with the biblical narrative. That doesn't mean that there's a couple passages I'm going to find somewhere that I build everything on. I want to know the flow of this. Because the Bible comes to us not just as a... uh, The Bible is distinctly different from other religious texts such as the Koran, which is largely just like proverbial uh, antidotes. Whereas the biblical narrative comes to us in this long form of story, and there is a flow and a trajectory in that. And that's what I want to know about. That's been my directive for 30 years now. That's the reason that I'm not part of a traditional church structure. That was the whole thing that I, I realized there was something else going on in the biblical story that didn't match up with what I largely encountered within traditional church environments. And that was the basis for starting Eastgate. So I want to just briefly, and this is not going to be an in-depth thing at all, but just to, to so you understand my heart and where we're coming from on this, I want to look at the Bible, see how it directs us when it comes to this topic of men and women ministry. Because, uh, you know, for me, w- the most basic place to start, if we're going to go to the Bible and understand this thing, where would you start? I, I would think, yes, you'd start at the beginning, right? We want to go to the beginning of the thing. You want to get to the truth of something, go back to the origin of it. And where we're first introduced to the human race in Genesis chapter 1, uh, in verses 26 and 27, look at what it says. And God said, let us make human beings in our image. What does that mean? Well, to be like us, they will reign. So. Human beings were made to, to take on this function. The being in the image of God means to be in this function of representing God's reign and rule to, you know, and he says to so the birds and the bunnies and all that stuff, but over creation, basically. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So right off the bat, we see there is no differentiation here in terms of job description. There's differentiation in sex. There's male and female. But no differentiation in their responsibilities. Both are equally commissioned to rule over the created order as representatives of God's rule. That's how the thing started. God's original order of things. We've got this picture of mutuality and unity of purpose with both of the sexes, each bringing their strengths and and their distinct perspectives that they have to represent God, male and female, representing God into the
1: world. And we uh, know the story, because yeah. at that point, then things go wrong. Pretty shortly afterwards, they fall from this original position, and the curse is introduced.
0: That's right. And that... So in Genesis 3, when God pronounces the consequences of sin, of humanity determining, they're going to order things their own way. And that's what that was all about. God had his order for things. Humans decided that they were going to listen to the interlocutor, the the serpent, and order things after their own wisdom and the consequences. And it reads here uh, uh, in, in uh, in Genesis 3, he says, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. In pain you will give birth. And though you will have desire for her your husband, he will rule over you.
1: So this ruling over people was not part of God's perfect plan and, and that he made for the world at the beginning. No. This ruling over people is a result that came from the fall.
0: It is a consequence of the fall, and we need to see that. One of the consequences of sin was the disruption. Of God's original order, where males and females were in equality, representing who God is to the creation, to the world. And it, it, the, the, the disruption then resulted in males ruling over females. So, in, I mean, honestly, in fact, the whole power over people... A uh, dynamic of hierarchies in general is the result of the fall. If we kept reading Genesis all the way through, we'd see it happening, spiraling further and further away from God's original intent for the human race, uh, from his original order uh, of things.
1: So this dynamic of people trying to rule over other people is something that we see starting in the garden, and it's a pattern that continues through Genesis and the whole Bible. Through the correct?
0: entire Bible and through the entire history of the human race uh, at that point. It's the, you know, people trying to rule over other people. I mean, look, let's look at the landscape of the world and the condition that it's in right now. What does it come down to? The grasp for power over other people. That's what it always is. So you know, I'll look and we don't have time to, to try to cover all of that from scriptures. That's, that's a starting point. You can start examining this on your own. But you just read through the Bible, it doesn't take you long to see that dynamic of power over people at work and the, and the conditions that it creates that is completely distinctly differently from what God's original created order is. So when it comes to patriarchy, patriarchy, the rule of men, is the result of the fall. And that fallen pattern, it carries through the entire story of the Old Testament. But even as we see that fallen, broken pattern, even as we see those consequences of sin unfold in the earth, we also, all through it, get these glimmers of what it is that God intends to do in in rectifying this, in changing this. Because the moment humanity fell, God started enunciating his plans, how he's going to change this, how he's going to turn this uh, around. And And so we get this... Glimpse of something beyond the fall, glimmers of God's intended redemption where the curse gets undone and all, all, all of these consequences are nullified and, and, you know, and we see even in the narrative then the same thing happening with women, glimpses where women are re empowered to be who they were originally created to be. Tyler Stanton of Bridgetown Church out in Portland calls it a redemptive trajectory that we see in the scriptures. And I love that terminology. That's a good way to word that, a redemptive trajectory uh, that God has taken the human race on. And again, time prohibits me from going into a deep dive on all of this, but we just look at some of the examples through the Bible story. We've got Miriam listed along with Moses as Israel's deliverer. There's Deborah, the judge over Israel. There's Rahab and Hannah, the mother of Samuel. And these were women who who were instrumental in shaping Israel's History independent of a man's covering over them. And that terminology is suspect scripturally anyway. But there's the prophet Huldah in Second Kings. She instructed King Josiah on what he was supposed to do with the law after they rediscovered it. Then in the New Testament, we're first introduced to Mary, the mother of Jesus. She prophesies like Miriam before her and Anna the prophet in Luke 2 and the Gospels were introduced to the women who were following with Jesus as his disciples and caring for his needs. The Samaritan woman who Jesus interacted with in John 4 preaches to an entire village and leads them into salvation. We've got the women commissioned to share the news that Jesus has risen from the dead. We just read about that as we were going through John. The first people commissioned to go and share and teach the good news were these women. After Jesus ascended and the church was born through the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter, in explaining what was happening in this unique phenomena that was occurring, quoted Joel the prophet from the Old Testament to explain what was happening. Here's what he said. In the last days, God said, "...I will pour out my Spirit on, upon all people." Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In other words, he's getting rid of all of those distinctions. Men, women, older, you know, gener- uh, gender and generation are all of a sudden uh, changed in this whole thing. Not changed. Their, their dynamic is changed in that is what I'm trying to say. Uh, in those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. So there's this sense. You see the, the, the redemptive tra- trajectory that's unfolding here of what God intends to bring us back to through the gospel. And so Philip's daughters do just that. Acts 21 and Priscilla and Aquila are both uh, mentioned as teachers by Paul. And in fact, in half of the times that their names come up, her name is mentioned first, which is unheard of in the Roman world at that time. It had to be intentional. Phoebe, who was a deacon in the church, according to Romans 16, and Junius who was an apostle in the church in that same chapter, Romans 16. And why not? Because here's what Paul says in Galatians 3. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus and all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of the fallen divisions and categorizations that we use to leverage power over people no longer have any relevance in the presence of the cross of Christ and what it is that he's accomplished in restoring us. Back to what God originally intended.
1: So you're saying that. Sorry, I got excited. <laughs> I Sorry. could tell. And I was like, yeah. No, just shut up. No. <laughs> so you're saying that all the ways that we divide and categorize people are no longer relevant in light of the gospel?
0: Absolutely. That's the whole
1: point. You take it that far.
0: I am taking it that <laughs> far. Absolutely. Because in Christ, we're returning back to God's original intent for creation. We've said this a billion times. Well, that's such a hyperbole, but we've we've said more more than once that we talk about (laughs) salvation. We're not talking about we get to go to heaven when we die. We're talking about coming back in to God's original intent for us as human beings. And that's what the gospel is accomplishing in our lives. So, you know, we're returning to that. Paul worked with and greeted women as well as men as co-workers and ministers in Christ. He expected women to be ministering, he gave instructions to women who, would, who were going to be prophesying in first Corinthians eleven explaining to them how they should be uh, uh, approaching that, meaning he expected her to give messages and exegesis on the scriptures uh, publicly uh, within the
1: community gatherings. So we have this momentum building from the Old Testament, you know, coming to bloom in the gospel and really seen on display. Yes. And the New Testament letters, you know, God undoing the curse of the fall and eradicating the power over people dynamic, right? You know, returning men and women to that original place of mutuality and unity as God's children and servants.
0: That's the idea. That's the idea.
1: But Then we come to these two passages that are referenced a lot that are written by Paul from letters. And it feels like at that point, the train derails. It's almost like a record scratch moment and going through these verses, you know, you and I, when we were working on this, you had originally planned to read out Longer explanations for each one, and we're like, that's way too much, and we'll be here for hours. But I can already see everybody falling asleep. (laughs) But I found myself realizing, you know, just sitting through, looking at all of them, like over, like in one list, like there's a large list of examples here that, you know, move consistently through the entire narrative and the narrative of women decision makers does seem contradictory to what the two main verses women often hear about. I'll say as a female often hear about when it comes to women in the church, like I'm, I'm regularly being referenced these two verses, but not the other large list <laughs> you mentioned earlier.
0: Well, yeah. And there's a reason for that. I mean, it looks so. Okay. So the passages that we're talking about, so that everybody's up to speed. we got two different passages. One of them in 1 Corinthians 4 says, do I have it there? Yeah, women should be silent during the church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says, even though he doesn't explain what he means by as the law says. There's no place in the Torah that is saying that specifically. There is in rabbinical law, so what is he talking about? And then in 1 Timothy 2, he writes, I don't let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly.
1: So how do we interpret, how do we interpret these? Do I take my yeah. microphone off or do I yes, keep going?
0: Off of here. <laughs> That's the thing. See, I mean, uh, we have to interpret them. We have to, because the, the, we've got this whole thing that we've just laid out here about, the, I mean, it starts, what are you going to do with that? The curse, the curse, it begins with this idea of the subjugation of women. What are we going to do with that? I mean, and then we've got this whole momentum going in this other direction to undo the curse, the the examples of women doing the absolute opposite of what it is Paul says, and that becomes a problem. We can't just say, well, it says what it says, and I'm going to do it, because from that perspective, we've got a glaring contradiction in the biblical narrative, uh, because nothing else that Paul writes or does conforms to what he states in these passages, so either Paul's schizophrenic or somebody interjected something in this, but I believe in defense of the cohesion of Scripture, which I believe to be inspired and I believe is God's word to us, we've got to do the hard work of studying and interpreting these passages beyond their face value because there has to be something there that can coincide with everything else we're seeing in this in this trajectory. Now, like I said, 15 years ago, I did a detailed breakdown of 1 Timothy 2. I laid out an argument. I still stand by it today. I've listened to it. There's a few things I say in there that I'm kind of like, I was a kid. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, but, but if you want a more in-depth look at, at that passage, you can go there. I'll direct you there. It's online at net. But just in quick summary of it, real quick. Uh, in 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes, Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let a woman teach or have authority over them. Uh, let them listen quietly. Now, there is a whole section of biblical scholarship, and I don't mean liberal scholarship, or I don't mean people who are dismissing the authenticity of the Bible. I'm saying people who really believe, like I believe, that this is God's word to us, who've done the hard work of studying the original languages, and there's a whole school of scholarship who believes that what Paul is saying here is encouraging the church to give space to women to learn. The idea of being quiet isn't directed at her. It's directed at those who might want to keep her from being able to learn. Allow her space to learn alongside of the men.
1: Well, that kind of goes too with the gospel story with Mary and Martha. Of yeah, Mary yeah, wanting 10. to sit with the men and listen alongside them with Jesus and yeah, Martha.
0: Yeah, that was the whole scandal. Everybody keeps making it about doing the dishes, but it wasn't that. <laughs> you know, Martha's upset she's not coming to help me, but she's upset that she's out there. It says she's at the feet of Jesus learning. That doesn't mean she's sitting there all doughy-eyed looking at Jesus any more than when Paul said he learned at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul wasn't sitting doughy-eyed Looking at Gamaliel, it means he was a student learning to be Gamaliel's disciple. She was suddenly a student learning to be Jesus's disciple, and Jesus commends her for it. Jesus actually says, "Yeah, she did the right thing here. Uh, You know, not that the dishes don't need to be done, but that she's not out of place being there with the men. Because listen, both women in both the Jewish and the Roman cultures were not permitted to get an education." Uh, There were some exceptions in the Roman world, notable women, noble women, who were allowed, uh, afforded that opportunity. But in general, on, on, you know, on uh, just, you know, where the rubber meets the road, women were not allowed. I've talked about that before. Within the Jewish culture, there's rabbinical writings that state you'd be better off teaching hogs Torah than to allow women to learn the Torah. That was the mindset and so I believe Paul is trying to carve out a space for women to learn, untroubled and alongside of the dudes who are there learning. The phrase, not letting a woman to teach or take authority over the man, isn't two distinct ideas in the Greek. It's a, it's a singular concept. And it could have been better worded as, I don't let a woman teach by taking authority over a man. And the word that he uses for authority there is unique to this moment in the New Testament. You never find it used anywhere else. The normal word for it, exousia, for authority, means the right and the power to do something. But here it's the word authentes, and it means taking control of someone violently. Or it can sometimes be used in connotation of murder. And many scholars believe Paul is trying to say, I don't want women to teach in a way that is domineering or emasculating to men. In other words, let the women learn. But I'm not saying now it's their turn to subject men to a matriarchy. Let women be humble like men should be humble. And let us, in mutual submission, learn from our true Rabbi Jesus. And to me, that reading resolves the contradiction. He's emphasizing the idea that she needs space to learn alongside of men. Not so that now she takes over, but that we all, mutually, together, in submission to Christ, learn how to minister. Does that That, make sense?
1: yeah, I'm good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, there she is...
0: would be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. sorry. <laughs> um, Dad and I have a dynamic where we joke yeah. <laughs> like really harshly with each other. And we think we're hilarious, but then we do it in front of other people, and they get worried about us. So, I'm like, you're doing it. You can't. Um, okay, yeah, sorry. I'm turning <laughs> but, uh, red
0: now.
1: <laughs> no, but there. I know that there are more to these verses, and I know that, yes. that you did a deep dive. You know, explanation that can be found on the website if anybody is, is wanting to learn that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And like I said, this is a very surface approach to this. Boy, we've got to keep moving here. I just looked at my watch. So, it, it, when it comes to the First Corinthians 14 passage where Paul says women should be silent, some believe he's addressing a particular situation where women or a woman mm. was uh, disruptively asking questions during the time of worship. That's one way. To maybe resolve it, uh, it, that's a possibility. The New Living Translation puts it this way, and it's pretty consistent with all the other translations. Women should be silent during church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law states, an ambiguous statement there. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it's improper for women to speak in church meetings. I am largely convinced that when Paul says in verse 34, women should be silent during the church meetings, it should have quotation marks around it. I believe Paul is is quoting them as he does in other places. What do I got? Yeah, in other places, because we know that he does that. In other, you know, all things are lawful to me, he quotes to them. And then he corrects it. Yeah, but not everything's good for me. And he quotes them again. All things are lawful to me. Yeah, but I'm not going to be brought under bondage to anything. He does that on a regular basis through this this letter, quoting them. And I believe in he's quoting them here because in the very next verse, in verse 36, he says, or do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given?
1: So basically at this time, the writings, they didn't have quotations in any space. Like anytime we see quotations, that's. Translators added, adding it in.
0: That's correct. That's correct. The Greek, when you look at the Greek, it's all, it's like one long sentence. The entire scroll has no punctuation whatsoever. Translators have to go in and make the best determination they can as to where to put it and when it should be there. I believe this is a spot. And there are some translations that bear it out, that uh, put those, those uh, quotation marks in it. And, and so verse 36 is a corrective statement. And, and again, it has to be interpreted, I realize. But the only thing that I can see that it's applying to is what was previously written. And, and it's my contention that Paul is correcting a faulty community law or rule in Corinth that was suggesting that women should have to be silent during the church gatherings because Paul expected women to speak Just a few chapters back in chapter 11, he's telling them to, you know, wear the appropriate headgear for that culture if you're going to prophesy. And unless he was expecting them to pantomime something, he was expecting (laughs) them to speak. So it would be totally contradictory for him here to say they can't speak. Ladies, how many of you were talking here today as we were gathering? I mean, if we're going to say, well, you got to take it at face value, then we've transgressed. If you were having a conversation. Otherwise, we've got to look at this. We've got to read this and understand what it is he's trying to get across or look at it in a way that helps resolve what is otherwise a contradiction. And look, this is just a quick overview. And again, it's not very quick, but uh, there's so much to dig in. (laughs) It's
1: pastor quick.
0: (laughs) sound like a brand name <laughs> pastor quick when you needed to go a long time. So, uh, but there's, listen, there's a lot to dig into uh, and it's very complex. This is how I've resolved these verses. And, and, you know, again, I'm someone who places a high priority on the scriptures uh, and a high, I've got a high regard for the scriptures. And to me, these interpretations settle what would other but otherwise be contradictory to the flow of the narrative that we find, the overall narrative uh, of the Bible. And so they are, in in my estimation, and I'm saying this with all humility I can, this is after years of studying this, I believe this is a faithful way to to read these passages. Uh, You know, one thing that I notice that always comes up in these conversations is, yes, but, you know, should a woman have authority to do this? Should a woman, you know, it's the issue of authority that always seems to be at the center of it. Can a woman have authority? And I think that misses the point altogether, because if we look at what Jesus showed us and told us, you know, in the world outside of God's kingdom, their leaders do what? They lord it over them. But Jesus said, it's not going to be that way among my people. So yeah, should a woman have authority over a man? No. Should a man have authority over a woman? No. No. Nobody should be having authority over anyone. The power over people dynamic is what was being resolved in Christ's death. It's nobody should be doing that's the stuff of the curse to be grasping for authority and and power. The goal has never been to get power over people. The goal is to be like Jesus and be willing to serve and not be served, but to serve uh, as he did. So at Eastgate, we want servant leadership as our goal And we believe that men and women are called to care for each other in humility, abandoning all grasps for power and authority and rights. So I say let's not limit women or men if God hasn't done so, because we need each other, just as at the beginning. He intends to make himself known through the diversity of our humanness, to make himself known through all that he's made, including this distinction uh, between sexes.
1: All right, you convinced me. I'll You'll stay? stay.
0: <laughs> okay, all right.
1: <laughs> no, but I, I do love this idea of Christianity representing this humble service to one another. I mean, that, that we don't have to stop and inspect who the other person is and what their gender is before we offer our service towards them. Right on,
2: them. right on. You know,
1: and that's the kind of leader I want to be, which is a servant leader you know, and I want to thank you for taking the time to, to share this with all of us. I know that this is an important thing for us to talk and check, talk about and check with scripture about. Um, that being said, I, I don't, I don't want to just be here as the female pastor. I want to clarify that there's so much more to me and that I want to do as a pastor, than just communicate that I'm allowed to be here. Right oh, on. Thanks. I think my husband started that. I don't know if it counts. He, <laughs> but, wasn't uh, listening. he says he wasn't listening. He, he, out, you know, <laughs> he can confirm it wasn't him, but, <laughs> but I want to, I want to say that I'm not here to try to bring feminism to the Christian church. And, and that, might actually be just disappointing to some people, but my calling is to share God's kingdom and expand God's kingdom. And I think in doing that, it brings freedom for all people that are held back by stereotypes and barriers in in the world that we live in.
0: That's right. So I think back to when I was working through this stuff, because I'll, you know, I grew up Holding to what's called complementarianism, believing that women were there simply to complement what a man is doing. Uh, and, well, I mean, that's the, I mean, that's a very generalized concept, a way of representing it. And so forgive me, that wasn't fair to the whole view, but I grew up in that point of view, but things were beginning to bother me. As the, the more I learned scripture, the more I read it, the more I looked at it, things felt out of sync to me, and one time, what really came to a head, I popped into the teaching here. Uh, Ruth, does anybody remember Ruth Peterson? She Used to be here, great teacher. She was teaching a women's uh, group here, and I just kind of was hanging out at the back because I'm, I'm I wasn't a lady, but uh, <laughs> I, but I was listening to her teach, and it was so good. I mean, I was hearing things. I was like, oh, I got to remember. That was so good. I was taking notes and thinking. And it, it was like a light went on. I was like, what, what is it with this? How is it that this is good, this is, this is nourishing, this is clearly inspired by the Holy Spirit? Why is this limited to half of the population of humanity? Why is it that limited when it's so beneficial to anyone? And so studying that, uh, I will say that I have been influenced by Professor N.T. Wright, but there's other scholars as well that have been, uh, you know, helpful in guiding me through this and learning these perspectives. Uh, and so there, there's a lot of scholarship, not mine. I'm not a scholar, but we know, but, uh, but but there's a lot of scholarship behind this. And, and, and this is not, you know, uh, me saying that I don't like the Bible on this thing. Please hear that. I'm not saying that at all. This is my interpretation of very complex scriptural positions and you could say well what if you're wrong rob man this would not be the only thing i would think (laughs) right we're trusting in god's grace to cover all of those things but i respect you if you disagree with this all right i don't want anybody to walk away from here saying well they told me what i got to do now Uh, nobody is is doing that at all we're not um we're not going to demand this of you. And if you if you disagree, that's all right. What I would hope is that we could disagree with it, but still minister together and, and walk together under the grace uh, of God. But, um, you know, I encourage you to know why you disagree. Not just that you disagree, uh, but why.
1: Um, looking forward to sharing my heart uh for the community uh beyond that i'm allowed to be here and so while i've got the microphone i I do just want to say that the the last thing that i want is for this conversation to be what defines me and my heart for ministry uh you know next week we're going to go into more about you know why our goals and purposes for this and i think we'll get to expand on that more but you know in a dream world i would love to look beyond this conversation I would love and I would hope that my love for God and my compassion for all people, my dedication to the scripture and the pastoral calling that God has put on my heart is what I am seeing at like is what people see when they see me and they see the my service here. Uh, so as co-pastors uh, and as we explain that we're here as co-leaders, we want to invite everyone here in this community to hold us accountable in our leadership the, the health of our community actually depends on that accountability. That's right. Uh, so if you see us being cruel to people, hold us accountable. It, no, put your hand down, Blake. Not you. Not Blake. Anybody but Blake
0: can come up with that. <laughs> Thank
1: you for bringing that up. He doesn't count. And then uh, if you see uh, money being uh, spent on private jets or $1,000 shoes, hold us accountable. Right. Okay? If, if we stop reading... Don't. No, I won't. I won't. Uh, if we stop reading the Bible and we start reading self-help books up here, instead, hold us accountable. accountable. That being said, I, I want to be... I want to be held accountable to the things that all leaders should be held accountable to. But I cannot be held accountable for being a female.
0: Amen. Right on. That's well said. That's well said.
1: Thank you. So this, you know, just like with
0: when board members come on this is the way, that we believe God's leading us. Uh, we're open. I want you to presenting this to you because we want you to know we're open to conversing about this. We want to listen to or discuss any questions that anybody may have on this. Uh, I'm obviously willing to, 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 talk, to talk about it. I will not demand that anybody uh, agree with me. And here's the other thing. You know, the, the things that, that Janelle has said and I've said before, nobody is actually going to demand that you respect us. I mean, nobody's. we're never requiring that of anybody here. What our hope is is to earn. Uh, that that respect through our approach to Scripture and our willingness to, to serve Jesus uh, by serving you. Uh, and that's what we're hoping for. So I'm just asking that as the community, we take this to God in prayer, uh, uh, and everything is safe when we bring it and we put it in God's hands and ask Him to guide us and lead us. So I'm just humbly asking you, to consider this prayerfully uh, and respectfully. So that's the leadership here at Eastgate—not just Janelle and I, but everybody that we've we've mentioned uh, so far that we've talked about in this. And my hope is that we'll continue to pursue God's purposes the the semi-unique way <laughs> in which He's He's led us here as we've been doing this for so many years uh, together. He's He's led us to this point, and I believe He's continuing to lead us on uh, still. And I believe there's a whole a whole new generation who's going to take this up and move this forward and strip away the dross and bring us back to what the gospel intends, that purity of our restoration to being the image bearers of God in this broken world until the day he returns and sets all things right. Right on. on. All right. Very cool. Right on with you. Yeah. Good. All right, cool. You
1: want to pray? (laughs) Sure. Uh, God, I thank you so much for loving us. I thank you for listening to our prayers We thank you for this gift of scripture and we take it seriously and we thank you for this community that you've called us to serve. We pray that you enlighten us, the leaders, uh, to know how to serve them well and to love everybody here the way you love everybody here. And we pray for every person in this community that they'll be brave in holding us accountable if the time comes and if that's needed and we all have a part to play no one part is more important than the others amen, and right. so we recognize that and we offer our humble service to you god in jesus name amen amen, amen.
0: If, you'll, if you'll stand with this is your mic still
1: open? no
0: you want to stand? okay you can hurt me
1: <laughs>
0: stand up
3: There was a moment when the lights went out, when death had claimed its victory. The King of Love had given up His life, the darkest day in history.
2: There
3: are a cross they made for sinners, for every curse is blood atoned, one final breath and it was finished, but not the end we could have known. Before the earth began to shake, and the veil was torn. What sacrifice was made
2: as the heavens rolled?
0: you to continue doing that in jesus name amen. amen amen uh we kept you a long time here today Sorry. if you're visiting this is not normal so uh don't panic Uh, try us again sometime but uh, if you've got kids back in the kids gate please be ready to go get them let's speak this blessing race
1: to go get them and and also make sure you thank the kids gate teacher you know they get here early and they stay the whole time and they're living on your kids so make sure you tell them thank you and if you need
0: prayer for anything feel free to come on up we'd love to pray with you or talk about things or whatever but let's speak this blessing over each other may May you see see the Lord's Lord's goodness goodness in in the the land land of of the living living. may the the Lord hold you steady and and still In Jesus Christ, hold firm, take heart. In his love, there is hope for you. Go in peace, you children of God.